Good morning, people's family. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the premise of our salvation. In the days that followed him rising from the dead, Jesus showed himself physically and he met with his disciples regularly. He left them with the Great Commission, which is a message that still applies to every one of his disciples today, that we spread the good news. And this we can find in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. It reads as follows. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that just exciting to be called to be part of God's mission? We have an amazing service lined up today. Mrs. Busima Guarela will share a groundbreaking sermon with us. And right after that, Edwina Kandiwa will encourage us with an offering message. But first, let's please take note of the following announcements. The first announcement is that Starting Point is now online. So Starting Point is a short four-week program for anyone wanting to find out more about People's Church as well as how to become a member. If you are interested, kindly sign up on the Church Center app or the web portal under the Events tab. The second announcement is that both in-person prayer and church service have resumed and you need to book to secure your seat beforehand. Remember to fill in the COVID declaration form prior to the service for an easy check-in process as this will help us to adhere to COVID regulations. Thank you.
church thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness to give the God who sees your heart will bless you this morning I'll be reading from the book of Job I'll be reading a few verses there was a man in the land of Uz his name was Job he feared God and stayed away from evil he had seven sons and three daughters he had 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 team of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He had many servants. He was the richest man in the land. Let's read from chapter 1, verse 6. One day the members of the heavenly courts came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Verse 8. The Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the land. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him, his home and his property. You made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is but reach out and take away everything he has he will surely curse you to your face all right you may test him the lord said to satan do whatever you want with everything he possesses but don't harm him physically so satan left the lord's presence from there satan destroyed all that job had and struck job with sores from head to foot but even after Job lost it all and his body was full of painful sores, he worshipped God and never blamed God. Now we'll read from chapter 42 from verse 12 to 13. So the Lord blessed 
Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 team of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. Church, God is here with you. He reigns supreme. There is nothing that is too hard for him to do. In Matthew 28 verse 20, Jesus said, I'm with you always. You might feel alone or feel like you're going through a lot or think that you have lost something great. This morning, God wants you to know that he is capable of restoring all that you've lost. If he, being God, sacrificed his only son, his only son to restore our relationship with him through his son, nothing is too great for him to do. This morning, God asked me to tell you that he will restore all that you have lost. He is with you always. God bless you. Hello, family. I really do hope that you are doing well. Um, bring you greetings from my home. Bring you greetings from the church. Wherever you are watching this from today, uh, we are praying for you and we trust that you're doing well. It is a privilege to be able to spend time with you today with the, in the Word of God. And um, before I go into the Word, I just wanted to say how personally amazing I, I think the Good News Conference was. Um, and we need, to, we need to honor leadership and we need to honor the pastors of this church, Pastor Kula and Pastor Mondly, for you know, um, putting it all together and also to say a big thank you to everyone who served. You know, serving happens in different forms and shapes. Could have been through planning and giving, um, through ushering, through prayers. And even for those who attended the conference, either physically or virtually, you know, we want to say thank you because you are part of make you were part of making the conference happen. And I think as a result of not coming to church regularly, physically, I mean, um, due to the pandemic, of course, it felt like something was missing for me, you know. But through the ministry that came across in the conference, I just felt like, I felt like love was rekindled again. I felt like something revived in my heart again. And this feeling reminded me of a scripture in Revelations chapter 3, from verse 15, it says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, and I could wish you were cold or hot, you know, because at some point I felt like, okay, I'm not cold, but I'm not hot, and it's not a nice feeling, and I don't know if you've ever been in a space with somebody who you can't quite tell where they are. It's quite frustrating, actually. So you can imagine when God is saying that to us, like, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. And then it goes on to verse 16, it says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It sounds like a very harsh expression, but you really can't put up with something that's not here or not there. You know, it's difficult to, to go on 
a journey with somebody who's not sure whether they're coming or whether they're going. And then I started to think about the disciples after Jesus' death, you know. They had heard that he would rise from the dead. I mean, Jesus told them over and over again. And yet none of them went to the tomb to check. <laughs> you know, they were not the first ones to go to the tomb to check. In fact, according to Mark 16, we are told that, you know, the two Marys um, and Salome were the ones who went to check the tomb. And although it says they went to anoint the body, fact of the matter is they were still having him in mind and they still thought of serving him and that led them to the tomb. Now I could just park here, but this is not my sermon today, so I'm going to fast forward a bit. But it says in verse 10 that she, meaning Mary, went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive, and had been seen by her, they did not believe. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, this is somebody you spent time with. This is somebody who you followed, and hopefully you believed the words that came out of his mouth, and now you are being told that he's risen, just as he said he would rise, and you don't believe. It's easy for us to read this and think, ah, if it would have been me, I would have believed. You know, if, if I was in the same position, I would have been at the tomb to check and you know all those things we always think we would do better given the same situation but I thought later to myself you know it's so easy to begin to doubt it's so easy to begin to doubt God's word especially after going through disappointment or when you're in the middle of what is a very difficult season when you have prayed and your prayers haven't been answered when you have felt that God is not present, it's very easy for us to begin to doubt, you know. And I sense in my spirit that after the year we have had, many of us are in a place where some of those disciples were. And I didn't come here to condemn you. In fact, I came here to tell you that it's okay. It's okay if you are in a place right now where you do not really believe. It's okay where you, if you feel like... I know he said this, but I don't really see it happening. But one thing I appreciate about Jesus is that although he could have left the disciples to believe or not to believe, like, you know, whether you believe it or not, the fact is a fact, right? He could have just thought, whatever you believe, it's fine with you. But Jesus is not like that. He was so gentle and he always showed up. He always showed up when somebody's faith was weak. He would come just for the one. I mean, I could name a few. There was Nicodemus, you know, who had to climb up a tree. And Jesus said, come down from the tree, Nicodemus. I'm having supper at your home today. Like I'm picking you, you know, because I know that there's a conversation that we need to have. There are some things we need to clear. And then there was Thomas. We always call him Doubting Thomas. But Jesus was like, come, Thomas. I know where you are. Come. You know, look at my side. Put your hand in my side. This is where I was pierced. Look at my hands. This is where the nails went through. And Jesus is that gentle with each one of us, regardless of where we are. You know, and verse 12 says, After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. But they did not believe him either, you know. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So these disciples had been told by those who had seen him, we've seen him, but they still did not believe. 
you know, just like many of us have seen a lot of miracles. We have seen God provide for us. We have seen healing happen. But sometimes we still have that doubt, you know, that could this thing really be true? And you may be feeling like you're struggling with your faith this morning or this afternoon or whenever you're watching this. And maybe this Easter for you was the farthest you've ever felt from the cross. And my prayer is that God will schedule an appointment with you today, even as we speak on a very interesting topic. I have titled this message, Abandoned Love. It's a strange topic, I know. But can I ask you to take a brief moment with me and think of a time when you were in love? <laughs> it may have been with a person, a job, a new car, you know, or a new toy, whatever that toy is. <laughs> can you still remember how you felt? I recently saw a video that was trending on social media about this girl who I think she was in love and she's talking to the love of her life on the phone and she's doing the weirdest, stupidest things actually. You know, they show her at some point, I think she was mopping the grass, you know, then at some point they show her putting oil in the fridge, cooking oil in the fridge or she was doing strange things that you're thinking, huh, <laughs> abnormal things. And I thought, you know, new love makes us act abnormal sometimes. And if you're still in that phase in your life where you are in new love, we praise God for you. If you're not, relax. There are many of us on this boat. I don't believe that anyone suddenly decides to fall out of love. You know, I actually think it happens gradually as the special things suddenly become routine and mundane. You know, you go from buying flowers, you know, just because I love you to buying flowers because it's Thursday or buying flowers because it's your birthday. You know, we go from sending a special text message or WhatsApp message to say, I'm thinking of you, you know, how's your day going? And now the only time we send a message to this person is to say, milk is finished, please buy milk on your way home. <laughs> uh, sounds funny, but um, if you're sitting next to this person right now, don't, don't look around, just maintain eye contact with me, okay? Because you do hear where I'm going with this. So my point is, at some point, we have all lost love. We have all experienced a feeling of disconnection from something we were once in love with. And sometimes this is even in our relationship with God. So many things have happened and you find yourself reading scriptures with your eyebrows raised. You know, like, okay, is that really true? And sometimes you're in a place right now where you think... Waking up to go to church, it's just so much work. And let's not even talk about prayer. Some, some of us do not even remember the last time we had a real heart-to-heart -heart with God. I mean, it's like, when last did you pray? Like, what's that? So today, our theme scripture is coming from one of my favorite events narrated in the Bible. And if you have heard me speak a few times, you probably would know where I'm going to right now. But as I thought of how to how to encourage you this morning. I felt like God was leading me to the scripture and I'm like, again? And I felt like, yes, again. So as I thought of what to say, I thought, okay, um, we need to backtrack a bit. But the story we're going to look at is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four. And there's one line that I would like to dwell on, but just to give it context, I feel it's important that I read from the beginning. You know, so I'm reading from John 1, verse 1 to 8. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. 
Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. I'm going to park there for some time. So the background is Jesus is traveling. Jesus decides we're not taking that route today. We're going through Samaria. And then the disciples are like, but, and he's like, no, no, that's what I'm planning to do today. Then they get there and he decides, okay, I'm tired. You guys go ahead, buy food. I'll wait here for you. And he parks by the well and then he meets this woman. And then listen to what he says. Give me a drink. Please give me a drink. When I read this, I went back to look for somewhere where it may have mentioned that Jesus was thirsty. I checked different versions even, and I couldn't find anywhere where we are told that Jesus was thirsty. We are told that he is tired, not thirsty. And this got me thinking that Jesus knew the way to this woman's heart was water or thirst. Jesus knew that this woman was coming to draw water because she was thirsty. So in order to reach her where she was, he stepped into her shoes. And this got me just, you know, amazed at the fact that God himself assumes a position of need and gives this woman an opportunity to serve him. You know, I wondered, why would Jesus ask for a drink? He probably knew that this woman understood thirst, you know, and she would most likely be empathetic towards his need if he said he was thirsty. You know, and I just want to throw a, a life skill lesson for free here. The thing that people are... are Willing to give the most is probably what they need from you the most. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but think about it. What a person offers you the most, when a person wants to spend quality time with you, it means that is what they need from you. You know, when a person affirms you a lot and speaks positive things to you, that is probably what they would also need from you. So Jesus knew that this woman had a thirst which was deeper than what physical water could quench. And it is for this reason that Jesus decided that I'm going to ask her for the thing that she needs the most, which is water. Notice that this woman came alone to the well. She came at a time, we told at noon, which is probably the hottest time of the day. But she came at a time where she probably did not want any drama. So she chose a time where it's quiet and there's probably nobody at the, at the, at the well. And she would just do what she came to do and leave without attention and without people talking about her. And yet this was the time that Jesus decided that he's going to restore her identity. He's going to demonstrate to her love like she's never seen it before. You know, and Jesus gives this rejected and insignificant woman an opportunity to serve him. Because he always used our need, uses our needs to get our attention. He always uses our needs to focus our attention back to himself. He invites her to a place of trust. Why am I suddenly talking about trust? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't drink water from anywhere and any place. And I wouldn't ask anybody just to bring me water because water is quite a sensitive subject for me. You know, I once watched a video about this little girl who was playing with her mother and she was bringing a cup of tea, you know, in a, in a toy cup. 
and the mother would drink this water and be like, oh, this is lovely. And the girl will go bring some more. And she'd be like, ah, oh, this is lovely. And eventually they showed us that this little girl was fetching water from the toilet bowl. Terrible example, I know. But I do not trust people with my water. So Jesus is asking for water. And something very, very important, you know, from this woman who nobody probably wanted anything from. Jesus had already broken so many rules by now, like true love would, you know. He's a man who's talking to a woman. He's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. And we don't know who else was there, but I feel like he had broken some rules already. You know, Jesus was saying, I'm not moved by what other people think of you. Even what I know about you. Even though I know the reputation you have, even though I know the struggles you have, I know the addictions that you are dealing with that nobody else knows about, I know what keeps you up at night. I still want you to give me a drink of water. Not anybody else, you. You know, Jesus was entering her world of need so that he could minister to her. He knew that asking for something she also needed would get her attention. This woman also needed water. But she could have reacted in so many ways. I mean, think about it. One of her reactions could have been, hmm, what are you doing at the well in the first place if you have nothing to draw water with? You know, like a cheeky response. Another reaction would have been, typical man. <laughs> you think I should serve you because I'm a woman? Listen here, I know your type. I'm not anyone's slave. The fact that you're Jew doesn't mean anything to me. She could have also offered him water and walked away. Made it a non-event. You know, you want water? Here's water. Bye. But she chooses to engage with him. Probably because she immediately realizes that this man is probably not from around here. Or he doesn't know me. You know? And if he knows me, then he doesn't judge me. And she felt like she was seen. She felt like she was now valid. Somebody was validating her. You know, and regardless of what was on her mind, she was about to have a conversation that would change the trajectory of her life forever. So now I'd like to make another point. We all qualify to serve the master. What am I talking about? I already mentioned that we are not told that Jesus was thirsty. We are told that he was tired. You know, so what he needed here was rest. And what he had sent the disciples for was food. But what was he asking this woman for? He was asking her for water. You know, we all qualify to serve the master. There is no one who has better serving qualifications. We all deserve to experience true love. You know, sometimes we disqualify ourselves from service because you feel what I have to offer, this person does not need. You know, I can only offer water. Jesus needs rest and food. But yet Jesus is saying to her, no, I need your water as well. I need you to come and serve me. What you have, I need right now. You know, and we look down at our gifts and our ministries because we feel like we don't have what the next person has. You disqualify yourself from serving a church because you're thinking, I cannot preach and I do not sing. So what can I offer? What can I do at service ch at church? You disqualify yourself from giving tithes and offerings because you feel like the amount you have is too little. And the Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians 12 that everyone has a role to play in God's service. So one thing I'm extremely thankful for every day in my journey with God is the fact that he doesn't choose and he does not discriminate. If he wanted only holy and perfect people, 
Moses wouldn't have made the cut. David wouldn't have made the cut or anybody else, you know. In fact, no one would have been qualified to serve God. But instead, he chose every one of us by sending his son to die for us. Even when we preach, we do not preach because we have figured it out. In fact, we are probably the weakest, you know, and the disqualified of the lot. But we stand here as a testimony to the fact that everyone can be used by God. The next thing I want to speak about is the issue of labeling. You know, we live in with so many labels that we have put on ourselves or we have, we have assumed because other people have given us these labels. So this woman says, how can you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water? Do you hear where I'm going with this? You, a Jew, me, a Samaritan. This woman has probably been used to the spotlight being on her, but not for the right reasons. She seems to be used to being defined by her nationality or her gender. She subconsciously believes that this is all she is and nothing more. Another way of asking this question is, do you really want me to give you water or is this some sort of a trap? You know, <laughs> I mean, given her reputation of having five previous men, she probably thinks, okay, this is a, just another one of them hitting on me. Best part, he's Jewish. And she's thinking, me? Really? So Jesus immediately shifts her attention from her inadequacies to his sufficiency. You see, the devil will use the labels that people have given you and those that you have given yourself because of your previous mistakes to shift your focus, especially when God has work to do. He uses those labels to distract you from what God has for you to do. The devil tries to disqualify you through your own view of yourself. But today I came to tell you, just as Jesus told a woman, if you only knew who it is that is speaking to you today, if you only knew who it is that's asking you for water, that is what Jesus said to the woman. And today I'm saying to you, if you knew who needs you to serve him, if you knew who has called and chosen you and appointed you, you would realize just how much he is able to pour into you. You would know how powerful he is. Two weeks ago, Pastor Kulu spoke about this God, this holy God who sits on a throne. This holy God that heavenly creatures are bowing down to 24-7. You know, this is the same God who says to you, it's not about me. Sorry, it's not about you. It's not about what you think you can bring to the table. It is about me. Everything is about me. This conversation is about me and what I have already given to you. I want you to give me a drink, not because I cannot sort myself out. In fact, not because I'm thirsty, but because you serving me is the only way that I can fill you up. In fact, I want to give you water, better water than what you have ever had. But the only way to get you to this point is to show you what I have already given to you. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It matters who you are when I fill you up. You know, so many of us are running on empty, but we are sitting on this mine of gold, you know, that is just ready to pour himself into us every single time. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Some of us are still stuck on whether we qualify for this knock or not. Fact of the matter is you are in the house where God is knocking and all you need to do is to open the door. 
You know, we are even scared to introduce ourselves as Christians because we don't think we qualify. Today, I want to tell you that there's nothing you can do to qualify. There's absolutely nothing you can do. Jesus himself calls you his own. Jesus himself qualifies you. Jesus himself fills you up. And the purpose of him filling you up is to use you. You're not limited to your place of birth. So get out of that place. You're not limited to the label that has been stuck on you. So get out of that place. That is why Abraham was taken out. Moses was taken out. Daniel was taken out. Even David was taken out of the places that they felt that they were confined to and the places where they had labels. God had to take them out of it. Even Nathaniel said in John 1 verse 46, can anything, come, anything good come out of Nazareth? He was referring to Jesus. Because nobody believed that anything could come out of Nazareth. And here was Jesus who came from Nazareth. You know, our worldly labels do not define our identity in Christ. True story. I'm a Nigerian and I'm in South Africa. And if you watch the news ever so often, you realize that in South Africa, Nigerians do not have a good reputation. You know, but I have to lift up my head out of this label out of this reputation that surrounds Nigerians. Because more than that, I am God's child. More than that, you are God's child. So I don't know what label you're carrying today. Maybe you dropped out of school. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're an ex-convict. Whatever you call yourself, you could even be in jail at the moment. Jesus says, if only you knew. He wants to get you out of that place today. He wants to remove the label. Third point is go and call your husband. <laughs> when Jesus gave this instruction, I believe he knew. He already knew the answer to this question. He knew what she was going to say. I mean, he's God after all. But what I believe he was doing was introducing this woman again to herself. You see, this woman was trying, God was, Jesus was trying to establish the role that he was coming to play in this woman's life. And if she did not acknowledge her marital status, her future was was hanging on, on her acknowledgement right now of, of her status. You know, so this woman thought she did not have a husband when in fact she did. She was looking at surface level when she had to go beyond the physical realm. How do I know this? Because after Jesus asked her this question, he answers and he confirms her answer by defining what she could not define all the time. Listen to the conversation play out. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. This woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In fact, you have spoken truly. So if this was Facebook and this woman had updated her status, it was going to say, Relationship status, very complicated. <laughs> So I started asking myself, why would Jesus say go and call your husband when he knew she did not have a husband? Then it occurred to me that Jesus was trying to show this woman something very important. Her thirst was not physical. It was a much bigger issue. Her issue was sitting deep down inside. In the scriptures, a husband is usually a symbol of a protective covering, companionship, affection, and desire. So I began to wonder if Jesus was saying... You know, um, if Jesus was saying to this woman, what is this thing that you are using to fill up the space that you feel inside of you? What are these things that are getting your undivided attention? This woman says, I have no husband because despite all she had tried, she was still feeling empty, uncovered, lonely, and unwanted. 
She had seen it for herself that everything she tried to find affection in would inevitably disappoint her. Everything that was used to fill this void in her life was in fact leaving her feeling worse off. Jesus said, even the one you have now is not your husband. Jesus was saying, even what you are pursuing now and chasing after now is still not going to bring you the fullness you need. This woman tries to turn the conversation into a religious one. You know, like we sometimes do. Like, how are you doing? Like, ah, God is on the throne. It is well. You know? And because this conversation was getting too close to home, she comes with this, you know, you Samaritans, you Jews believe this, we Samaritans believe that. You Jews pray here, we Samaritans pray here. And Jesus is saying to her, woman, none of that matters. What matters is what is going on in your heart. What matters is how is your relationship with your heavenly father? What matters is this worship you are doing on whichever mountain. Where is your spirit in it? Is there any truth in it? And this morning, family, I feel like God is saying the mountains are pulled down. Jerusalem is pulled down. Where you go to church doesn't matter anymore. I mean, we spent almost a whole year of not attending church physically. The physical building is not important to me, God is saying. What I want to know is where is your heart? Where has your love been abandoned? Where is your love lost? Is it lost in your career? Is it lost in your pursuit for material things? Is it lost in earthly recognition? Is it lost in what I would call wifing or husbanding or mothering or fathering? If your love is not deeply rooted in your father, you will continue to run on empty. You will continue to chase husbands, change husbands. You will continue to draw physical water when what you need is living water. You will continue to hide under religion and miss out on relationship. The one the father wants to give us today. The last thing in conclusion is Jesus says to this woman, I am he. Because this woman says, I believe that there is a Messiah coming. I believe he's still coming. Jesus is saying, no, I am he. I am the one who, the one you are waiting for, the one you are thirsty for. It reminds me of what Moses, when Moses asked God, so now I'm going to Egypt. Who do I say sent me? And Jesus and God said, tell them I am. You are? You are what exactly? You am everything you need. I'm everything you are thirsty for. I am he. Today I want to ask you, what do you need? What are you thirsty for? And are you willing to allow Jesus to be that for you today? The truth is, if Jesus is not your covering, you do not have true love. Even the one you are living with now is not going to quench your thirst. Jesus says, I am he. And he wants to be that for you today. Can I invite you to pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are re rebuilding, you are rekindling and you're renewing the love that you have put in our hearts that can only be filled by you and you alone. And Father, we bring our hearts to you this morning. We bring our hearts to you right now. And we say, Lord, come and take your place. Come and be the he that we need. Come and be everything that we need. We, 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 we resubmit our lives to you, Lord Jesus. And we invite you. We say, you are the one we've been waiting for. You are the one that we need right now. And Lord, be all of that to us today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you, says Busi. That was a filling portion that will surely add on to our faith. The best part is that the good news is not fake news and it is not a fairy tale. We have the receipts. 
we have the holy text with the written accounts of witnesses. We know that historians and archaeologists have recorded findings. And yes, of course, we have the individual testimonies of believers all over the world today who have had personal encounters with Christ that he is truly a game changer. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid it all. Let us give God a shout of praise. And with that said, I wish you all a lovely Sunday and a blessed week ahead.